At Cross Point Church, we are not in competition with any other church out there. We just want to do our part in carrying the greatest message the world has ever heard to the streets in every city that God calls us to. We are learning every day to serve God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we are learning to worship Him in spirit and in truth. At Cross Point Church, we don't pretend to be perfect, so if you're looking for that, we're not it. We will make mistakes, but we will choose to grow from them, and we will continue to engage with real people who have real concerns and real needs because we are the hands and feet of Christ. So here's the invitation. If you are here today, you have chosen to place yourself in a very safe place to hear a potentially life-transforming message. At Cross Point Church, we place the highest priority on Jesus and believe that the gospel points to Him as the means to live life to the fullest. At our church, we are not concerned with where you have been. Instead, we care about where you're going. So this morning, we are simply inviting you to journey towards Jesus. Friends, we are glad you are here. Welcome to our church. Amen. Amen. It's good to see you this morning, Cross Point Church. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. How many of you are excited to be here this morning? Anybody? Amen. You know, uh, VSU and, and the other colleges are kicking off this week, and so uh, I know that we probably have some uh, visiting college students with us and some that are maybe returning back, and so we want to just say welcome to our, our college students. Uh, I know our second service is going to be probably packed uh, today, but uh, could we just welcome our college students back this morning and just say we're glad that you're here. And uh, I was talking to a few this morning as we were getting ready to kind of get going, and, and I said, uh, so study will resume this week, and they go, yeah, you know. So uh, I know they're excited about seeing their friends, but the, here comes the hard part too, right? So let's keep them in our prayers. You know, uh, I also want to say this, uh, this tonight, uh, that Fusion, our student ministry, is kicking back off tonight at 6 o'clock. If, you, if you're a student here today or if you have a student uh, in, in middle school or high school, uh, our youth ministry will be kicking off again tonight, getting started from the summer. And so we just encourage you to, uh, to, to be a part of that as well. And then also don't forget, next Saturday, uh, we will have our women's ministry uh, annual get-together. Uh, they'll be having their one-day retreat. Uh, it's going to be happening in our Quitman campus and just so excited about uh, the opportunities for women to connect and ladies to connect in, uh, in the life of the church. And so those are just a few of the things that are happening this week and excited about those. And, and I'm excited about being here with you as well. So I want to just go ahead and uh, spend some time together in a word of prayer and uh, ask God to really prepare our hearts for the message this morning. And we'll dive into God's truth. So pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for your presence here in this place today. God, we thank you for your presence in our life. And Father, how you move us and, and change us and mold and shape us, God, to be more like Christ every day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to to gather in this place as a faith family, a place that we call home. And God, we, uh, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to just gather here in a very genuine way and love each other and love you. And so, Father, thank you for your presence. 
Father, I pray that today as we prepare to dive into your word, that you would prepare us, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds to be more receptive to who you are. I pray, Father, that you would help us to place aside every distraction that is in our our minds right now, in our life right now. Many of us are facing very uncertain circumstances. So, Father, I pray that we would be able to focus on you and your word in these next few moments. Father, the, the greatest thing that could happen here today is that we hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that today, uh, Lord, you would just meet us in this place in such a special way. We love you and we worship you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Last week, we launched a series called Welcome to Our Church. And it's a series designed to really present to all of us here to, uh, today and, and throughout this series really the DNA of our church. I think it's important that we, that we go through this several times a year, and we typically do this when it's back to school time. And then in January, uh, as a staff, we call them vision series. And I, I remember this old saying that Bill Hybels once said, he said, vision leaks every six weeks. So maybe about every series we need to remind ourselves of some of these truths that we're going to be looking at in this series but I think it's also important because this is a time of the year where a lot of people are also maybe looking to, to get back in church if they have strayed away from church or not been a part of a church. Or maybe they've moved to town over the summer and now they're beginning a new life here and they're exploring uh, where it is that God would have them to belong. And so a series like this is good because it really reveals the DNA of our church. It, it helps us all to be reminded of of the reality of what it is that we stand for. And that's important. And so last week we looked at what it means to be a Christ-centered church. And I think that is the, the foundation, or it should be the foundation of every church, but it certainly is here that, that to be Christ-centered is where we begin. Everything that we do kind of hinges on the, the reality that we are Christ-centered. He is the head and we are the body and he leads us where we go. And so Jesus is is the head. He is the, he is the foundation. He is our rock. And so we are Christ-centered. Today we're going to be looking at what it means to be gospel-centered. I believe that every church that is Christ-centered must be gospel-centered. Now I don't know that that's a reality in our world today, but I know that if we're going to be Christ-centered, if everything we're going to be revolves around who Christ is, then then we as a church also must be gospel-centered. And that's what I want to talk about here today as we dive into this. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote, once wrote these words. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life, let how you live your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that's a, that's a powerful passage of Scripture, and that's one that is very challenging to me. It's, it's one that, that helps me to, to check myself when I find myself in a, in a place maybe where, there's, maybe where there's not other believers around me, and, and I have to be very careful to check myself and to, to make sure that I am living my life in a way that is Christ-centered but also gospel-centered. And so this morning we want to talk about that. As a follower of Christ, the way we live our life reflects who we say we are. And this is very important as we live out our life as followers of Christ Jesus. 
the single most divine calling that we have as a church is to take the gospel message to a world that's filled with darkness. You know, so often we surround ourselves with with other believers and, and Christians, and we think that this is a safe place, and indeed it is. But the reality is if we're going to be gospel-centered, then we must be bold enough to take that message into the darkness. And many times that's a challenge for, for us. Many times we want to stay where it's safe, and we're unwilling to go where, where the people are that desperately need Jesus. We can't be afraid, but we must be smart about who we are as followers of Christ Jesus. The gospel is known as the good news of Christ. It is the gospel message of Jesus. It tells the story of, of who Christ is and why it is that he came to this earth and why it is that he lived a life of perfection and why it was that he was willing to go to the cross and, and die a death that was a death of suffering, that his blood would be spilled, but it also tells the good news that, that in three days he rose from that death. In other words, he had victory over death and he rose from the grave. And we've come to realize that as a, as a man he died on the cross, but he rose as the Savior of this world. And so Jesus Christ and his message is one of the most important things that we could wrap our minds around. As followers of Christ Jesus, we must be very aware of the story of Jesus so that as opportunity allows, we could share that story with others. But at the same time, we must understand that the gospel is also not something that is just a story for us to tell. It's also the example by which we personally live our lives in this world. And so this morning we want to talk about this. I love what Michael Horton once said. He's the author of Pilgrim Theology, Core Doctrines of, of Christian Disciples or For Christian Disciples. He once wrote these words. He says, the gospel is not something that you can tack on to another worldview. On the contrary, it makes you rethink from the ground up, from the center out. He goes on to say, when we meet God in the gospel, we first encounter him as a stranger come to rescue us from a danger that we did not even realize we were in. I love that. That Jesus was thinking about us before we were ever thinking about him. That Jesus knew where we were and Jesus came looking for us. The reality is this is the story of Jesus. This is the gospel message of Christ Jesus that God so loved the world that he would send his son to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so this is the story of Jesus that we want to talk about here today. This gospel message that is so dear to our hearts as, as the body of Christ. And so this morning we're talking about a gospel-centered church. We're going to a passage in Philippians Go ahead and turn there, if you will, Philippians chapter 1. And our text this morning is from verse 21 to verse 30. It's a rather lengthy text, but this morning we want to examine this. I love this passage. This is one of the passages of Scripture that, that really just encourages me, and it strengthens me, and it, it challenges me to live my life for Jesus. And so the reality is, is that we we see the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians and he's writing to them 
And he's really challenging them to be gospel-centered in this passage. Now, as I read this story, or have in the past, I've read this story thinking of my life as an individual. And that's good. That's, that's good for us to do that, to, to think about how does this passage apply to me personally. We should all do that this morning. But the reality is, too, that he's writing to a church, and so this passage is also one that as we think about who we are as a church, as we examine exactly what it is that we're made of, what is the DNA of this church, then we also realize that as Paul is writing to the Philippians and he's saying these things, that he is also challenging a church to not only be centered on Christ, which is certainly the foundation of everything that we are, but also to remember that we are called to be gospel-centered as well. And so this morning, I want to read this together with you, starting at verse 21, Philippians 1. Paul says this, this is, at least this first verse will be very familiar to many of us here today. But the the Apostle Paul, he starts off and he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Man, I just love that. Paul says, as long as there's breath in my body, I will be living for Jesus. He goes on to say, if I were to die, no problem. Because I gain everything. You see, through Christ Jesus, Paul knows he is certain of this one truth, that he has eternal life through Christ Jesus. And for every one of us as believers in Christ Jesus, we should not fear death either if we are truly a follower of Christ Jesus. I, I don't typically fear death. I just fear how I might die. I mean, you know, I, 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 I don't want it to be real painful. I mean, just being honest with you, I don't, I don't want to go that way. But, uh, but it's not death that I fear. It may be the means in which God chooses for me to die that I might suffer. But Paul says this, he says in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Then he says this, and this is where we're going to really camp out here this morning. He says in verse 22, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, in other words, if I'm still living, if I am to live in the flesh, then that means fruitful labor for me. Paul is declaring, and we're going to get into this a little deeper in just a moment, but he is declaring that if he is living for Jesus, as long as he is alive, he needs to be living his life where there is fruitful labor. In other words, we see the results of those things that God has called us to do. If we are to carry the gospel message into the darkness, if we are to carry the the message of Jesus to people who don't know Jesus, then there should be fruitfulness from that. There should be fruit that is being produced from our labors as both individuals and as a church. And so Paul says here, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. You see, Paul is imprisoned in this moment. He doesn't know if how many more days he has. He says, if I'm gonna, if I die, you know, that, that's just the end of my ministry. But if I live... I'm going to live in such a way that I am thinking always of the reality that I need to carry the gospel message into the darkness. And then he says this, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Uh, he, he understands the realities of, you know, uh, of being in heaven with Jesus. I mean, all of us know that that's a, 
a beautiful thing as believers in Christ Jesus. But then he says this, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, he acknowledges that there is still work to be done. There are still people that need to hear the gospel of Christ. And then he says this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And then he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you in or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The Apostle Paul, as he is writing this letter, it is very obvious that he is committed to Jesus. He's committed to the gospel. He's committed to sharing the story of Jesus with the world. The Apostle Paul was one who, even like Jesus, went into very dark places to make that truth known. He went to places where even the religious leaders of the day said, why would you go there? Don't you know that those people are sinners? Why would you go there? And Jesus was quick to point out to the Pharisees in those moments, I came for the sick, not for the ones that don't need a physician. And so it's obvious that the gospel has is, is, is been one of those things that has helped us to understand The work that Christ has done in our life, he came that we would be redeemed. He came that we would be restored into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But he also sends us out into the darkness with the light that has changed us. We are to go. We are to go. This is a very safe place here this morning. Amen? It's a very safe place. But Paul says, as long as I am living, I am going to go into those dark places, and with me I will carry the light of Christ. And so Paul says, for me to live is Christ. The gospel says, you know, gospel-centered, it basically means this. It says, my life has been radically transformed by Christ, and the way I live my life will prove it. So what are the characteristics of being gospel-centered? What do we look at and see in this passage that sort of says, these are the elements of what it means to be gospel-centered? The first thing that we notice here is, uh, as we read Paul's writing, is this, a kingdom-focused determination. A kingdom-focused determination. You see, the Apostle Paul, he knows everything that Jesus has done for him. But he knows also that he is called to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, to carry that message out into a world that his kingdom would be glorified, that he would be glorified, and that his kingdom would be added upon, that disciples would be made as he goes out and shares his faith with others. And so we see here, we notice that Paul has this tremendous kingdom focused 
determination. He doesn't quit. He continues on. He, he presses on with that which God has called him to. And each one of us that are sitting here today, we must be aware of that which God has called us to. Where is God calling us to go as individuals and as a church? We must go. And then we see that the Apostle Paul, he went to places where he was beaten. He went to places where he was stoned and left for dead because people didn't believe what he believed. But the reality was he continued to press forward. We see this kingdom-focused or kingdom-minded determination. He says this in verse 22. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. I will continue to see that people will be changed, that People will come to know Jesus as their Savior. Yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. Paul realizes and he recognizes and he acknowledges that he is in the hands of Christ. Whatever Christ you know, has for him, that's all he'll, he, he, he wants. He says, my desire is to go and be with Christ. But uh, that, that for me would be better. But to remain in the flesh may be more necessary for your account. To continue living may be what God wants me to do because he's not done with me yet. Paul was determined to live for Jesus, to live a life surrendered to God's will. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this. He says, there are two kinds of people. There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those who God says, all right then, have it your way. That's really what it sums up to be, isn't it? Those who say, God's will be done in my life. I will do what God is calling me to do. Or those that say, or where, those where God says, okay, have it your way. And I believe that today we're sitting here today as and many of us are believers in Christ Jesus and we have to ask ourselves, what is God calling me to do today? And then the response to that question determines who we really are in Christ Jesus. Are we gospel-centered in our life? Are we Christ-centered? Are we believers who are strong and bold in our faith? Are we believers who know that there is a world who desperately needs Jesus and we're willing to go? Send me, God. Send me. Another characteristic of a gospel-centered church or life would be this, a life that is reflected of Christ's righteousness. Verse 27. Some of the most powerful verses, or one of the most powerful verses in this entire passage is one that really challenges challenges me but he says this he says in verse 27 he says only this let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ you know so many of us sitting here today are involved in other things other than the life of this church many of us are members of the country club I'm not a member of the country club I can't hit a golf ball to those doors back there but but uh, there's no reason for me to be a, a part of a a country club or anything, but I enjoy hanging out with my buddies, but I don't really enjoy hitting that little white ball. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's never a pretty sight. But maybe that's a part of who you are. And so, you know, and, and, and the reality is in that golf club, in that country club that you're a part of, maybe there are people who are living their life that are much differently than you live your life. 
Maybe there are people who don't live the life of Christ. Maybe there are people in that club that you're surrounded with that aren't believers in Christ Jesus. And yet there you are playing golf with them. What Paul would say to us is this. He would say this, and and this is a a very personal challenge. Only let your manner. It it, it isn't that he's saying, listen, stay away from there. There's, There's lost people. He's not saying that. He's saying when you're there, only make sure that the manner of your life is worthy of the gospel. That when you're, lead, when you're living out your life in those places where maybe darkness exists, check yourself, make sure that, that your manner of life is worthy of the gospel. In essence, what Paul is saying is he says this. He says, let the way you live your life look like what you say Jesus has done for you. If you believe that Jesus has redeemed you, if you believe that you are a follower, a disciple of Christ, then live your life in such a way that reflects that. Live your life in such a way that reflects that. It's amazing how many people who don't need Jesus when they see you living like that and standing firm in that begin to realize that that's something they don't have. And suddenly they begin to ask the questions. What does the gospel look like for us personally? You know, a message on the gospel, I mean, and we've only got just a few minutes, you know, together here this morning to talk about the gospel. Well, the gospel is from, is from, is from, the beginning to the end of the scripture. I mean, where do you go? I mean, as I study for this message today, I, I wondered, you know, what in the world, what is it that I bring to the table to say here's the gospel when all of it is the gospel? But here this morning, I want to just kind of take you through what I, I sort of have labeled as the 10 basic foundational truths of the gospel. If the gospel is the story of Jesus, if the gospel is the message of Christ, then, then if we could sum it up into 10 quick truths for a, for a message that, that ends really too quickly for me to, to say all that I want to say, then what truths are, are foundational enough to mention here today? Because if we're going to carry the gospel to a world that's lost, to a world that's in desperate need of, of Christ because all they know is hopelessness, then what is it that we need to know and carry with us? Here they are. If you want to write these down, this would be good. But here's the, the foundational elements of the gospel. I'll just kind of fly right through them because there's, there's 10 of them here. But what we see in Romans 3.23 is this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is important. This is important for us as believers to recognize that we're all sinners we're all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. That we are all in a place where, where we are in need of redemption. Even those of us who have been saved eternally through, by the blood of Christ. That we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Even those who have been redeemed need God's constant grace in our life. That we may be able to stand boldly for Jesus and not for the world. And so the reality is we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We also know this truth, that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. That outside of Christ Jesus, without Christ in our life, we are in trouble. Because the Bible declares that the wages of sin, the unredeemed life, is eternal separation from God. So the wages of sin is death. 
Here's the third one. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14. That Jesus, who had his place in heaven, removed himself from that place and he came to this earth. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. We see another one here, and the fourth one I want to mention here. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his. And so not only did the word become flesh, not only did Jesus come, Jesus incarnate and walk on this earth, but he also came and he led, lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life because he was the one that was going to have to go to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. So he lived this perfect life, something that you and I are unable to do. And so this is one of the truths of the gospel that we must understand. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So another foundational truth for us as believers is this reality, that there is no other way to heaven besides through Jesus. Amen? There is no other way. No other way. The fifth truth that I want to present you this morning, or that was the fifth one. The sixth one is this. God shows his love for us and that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died. So you see, he came to this earth and he lived this perfect life. He lived this perfect life so he could go to the cross for our sins. And the gospel tells us that he did that. That while we were yet still sinners, while we were yet so unrighteous in our sin, that Christ died for us on the cross. The gospel continues to tell us, and God raised the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power in 1 Corinthians 6, 14. You see, Jesus died. He died. But in three days, he conquered death when he rose from the grave. Number eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. I love this. For by grace we have been saved. Grace is this word that says we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve sanctification. But by God's grace, the reality that he loves us unconditionally, he has poured his grace out on us. And by his grace we are saved through faith in Christ Jesus. This isn't our work. This is his work. Another foundational truth. Number nine. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and this is important for us to understand. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come and the old has passed away, my friends. The new has come. You see, you, you can say all day long that you're a Christian. But what the gospel reveals to us about being a disciple of Christ Jesus, is that if he has redeemed you, if there is salvation, if there is now sanctification in your life, you are not who you used to be. Amen. He has transformed us. He has redeemed us. You don't continue to live your life the way the world says, hey, it's okay to live. Because now there's a new desire that's in your heart. A new desire that has been placed there by the blood of Christ. Number 10, and I love this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let me ask you a question this morning, Crosspoint. How many of us will stand together and boldly declare today 
that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're not ashamed. We seek truth. These aren't our words. This is the word of God that declares the gospel according to Christ. And a believer in Christ Jesus is one who has been radically transformed by this gospel, by this truth. It's not the words of your pastor. It's not the words of your life group leader. It's the words that come straight out of the gospel of Christ Jesus. We've been saved by grace, and as disciples of Christ Jesus, we therefore should not be ashamed. So these are words that Paul has revealed to us. If you're here today as a Christian, your life should, be, should not be characterized by a life of sin, but characterized by a life of righteousness in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Again, he doesn't say don't place yourself in dangerous places. The reality is we may find ourselves there. But when you are there, let your life be worthy of the gospel. The final and third characteristic I want to present to us this morning is this, is that there's an unashamed boldness for truth. If we're going to be a gospel-centered church, Indeed, if we're going to be a gospel-centered disciple, then there needs to be a characteristic in our life that says basically this, that we are unashamed of who we are. We are unashamed. There's an unashamed boldness for the truth of God's Word. Then that we stand on God's Word. We will not back down from God's Word. We will not sugarcoat that message. We will not candy coat that message. It is God's Word that has been given to us as believers in Christ Jesus to take out into the, into the world of darkness. And the reality is He and He alone is the one who saves. And so here we see that Paul makes this clear. He says in verse 28, And do not be frightened in in anything by your opponents. Do not let the world intimidate you. Do not let the world intimidate you because of who you are. Certainly the world will say, I don't believe in Jesus. Certainly the world will say, you know, you're just a sinner just like I am. Certainly the world would declare for you that, hey, just live your life the way you want to live your life. If we go back to Genesis, we see that that's what the serpent said to Adam and Eve, right? The world will tell us one thing, but the gospel tells us another. And the gospel tells us to remain unashamed and to stand bold for the truth that has changed our life. He says here in verse 28, he says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of, to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. As Christians, we will face opposition. We'll face opposition. We'll face people who don't believe the same thing we believe. We'll encounter that. We encounter it in our work. We encounter it in our school. We encounter it with our professors. We encounter it everywhere we go. We go to a restaurant, and our waitress doesn't believe what we believe. 
We encounter it everywhere we go. And so therefore, we must be reminded that we need to stand boldly for the truth. Augustine of Hippo, he, he once said this. He said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. We don't get to pick and choose what we like in the gospel. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to hang on to. The gospel message of Christ is the gospel message, all of it. And so the reality is we must understand to be Christ-centered means that we must be gospel-centered. And to be gospel-centered is to say, I trust God with my life, even if my life is defined by suffering. Many of us have walked into this place today, and there's so much pain in our life. Many of us have walked into this place today, and there's, there's so many things going on in our life, it can be overwhelming. I know I'm in a time in my life right now that I just, I'm ready to pull my hair out. What's left of it? Just pull it out. It's just, you know, it, it's tough sometimes. I mean, I... I'm at a place where I just don't know if I'm going to make it through the day. There's just so much going on. And maybe some of that I put on myself. I don't know. But the reality is I'm just in an overwhelming. But I have to trust God with it, right? I have to trust God with it. Whatever my circumstance is, whatever place I find myself in, I have to trust God with it. And I, I look at God's word, and God's word, it helps refine me. It helps encourage me. It helps comfort me. It helps strengthen me. So that I can continue to live my life characterized by Christ. The Christian life, let me just say this, the Christian life is not characterized by easy. Giving your life to Jesus doesn't mean finally life will be easy. In fact, in some ways it can be much harder. Given your life to Christ, the Christian life is not defined by prosperity. The Christian life doesn't mean, okay, all my financial troubles are going to go away now. I gave my life to Jesus. If you gave your life to Jesus for that result to happen in your life, you've believed in a false gospel, my friends. Jesus came to this earth to make us holy, not necessarily to make us happy. He came that we would be righteous. That we would have a, a relationship that has been made right with God because of his work on the cross. He came that we would be saved by his grace. That's the gospel. Our life isn't characterized by easy. In fact, sometimes it's characterized by suffering. But here's what we must realize. Is it always it needs to be characterized by this reality that Jesus is enough? Years ago, and I'll end with this story. Years ago, I was on a mission trip to Slovenia. A country that some of you maybe have never heard of until I just mentioned it. And I remember getting over there and the missionary there, he says, Dave, we got this going on, this going on, this going on. This is what we're going to be doing all week long and and he said, I got you going over here. I want you to come over here. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And, you know, and man, we hit the ground and we were running. And I remember about midway through the week, he said, this, to where we're going tomorrow, I, I just can't wait for you to go there. Tomorrow, you don't really have to say anything. I want you to meet a young lady 
who's given her life to Christ, she's going to be giving her testimony. And, and you don't have to say anything. I just want you to hear this story. And I remember thinking, man, praise God, we've been working so hard. We've been doing so much over here. And it would be good to just take some time just to hear from somebody else. And I remember we got over there, and, and, and she got up, and she began to tell her story. And the story goes like this, that, that there came a day where she heard the gospel, and she, she was saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. God interacted in her life he he redeemed her and she gave her life to Christ Jesus and she was so excited about this gospel message that she had been hearing that she went home and she told her atheist husband who promptly kicked her out of the house and said he was keeping the three kids he was so angry over her decision he said if you'll give up this Jesus you can come back into the house she went through the court system and there wasn't a lot of sympathy for women over there they usually listen to what the man has to say and the man said listen she's out she's not going to bring that garbage into our house and she had a moral dilemma there that she was facing she had to she had to ask the question is Jesus worth it and she was broken and she sobbed and she cried because the circumstances was not what she was expecting as a believer in Christ Jesus but the one thing she believed is that Jesus was sufficient, that Jesus was enough, and she held on to him despite the reality that her husband would not let her see the kids. The kids, wanting their mother, wanting to be with their mom, begged and pleaded with their dad, and he would not give in. And finally, one by one, the kids begin to see something in mom that wasn't in dad, and, and they begin to see that, that in, in reality, she was a much stronger person than even dad, and what dad was doing was not right. And one by one, the kids started seeking the truth in the gospel, and one by one, they gave their life to Jesus. And one by one, and one by one, daddy kicked them out as well. Finally, all three kids had given their life to Christ and they were living with mom on the street and that's when I met them. The church had, was taking them in and, and doing all that the church could do to, to just offer them some sort of comfort and peace, taking care of their own, so to speak. And, 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 and they, they longed to be with, at home. They longed to be with, she longed to be with her husband. She, but she was not willing to give up on Jesus. And one day... This husband, all alone in this home, feeling so isolated from his family, wondering what in the world is going on. And this all happened after I'd come back to the States. He invited him back in. He said, you can come in here, just don't talk about this Jesus when you're in the house. But they couldn't help themselves. And they talked about Jesus. And a year and a half later, a dad who was an avid atheist gave his life to Jesus as well. There's something that is amazing that takes place when God's people stand firmly and boldly and unashamedly for the gospel. When God's people truly believe that Jesus is enough because he says he is. There's something remarkable about that. This morning, the greatest question that we could ask ourselves this morning is this question. Do I know Jesus? 
Does the gospel define my life? Does everything that the Bible says, that the gospel says about Jesus, is that who I am? Do I know Jesus? Have I been redeemed? That is the greatest question that we could ask ourselves this morning. Maybe some of us are living under a false assurance that we know Jesus and we simply do not. The gospel message is a message that points to a life that is defined by the righteousness of Christ. This morning, if you have questions, our pastors will be down front. If you want to come to this altar and pray, maybe you want to come and pray for your community. Maybe you want to come and pray for your coworkers. Maybe you want to come and pray for your spouse. Maybe you want to come and pray for the people at work and the people in your classroom. Maybe you want to come and pray for our community. Maybe you want to come today and you want to pray that this church would stand boldly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever God has revealed to you this morning, don't remain in that comfortable place where you always remain every week, but respond to God in whatever it is He is calling you to. I'm going to pray for us, and then let the people of God worship Him in spirit and truth. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You, God, for who You are. Thank you, God, for all that you mean to us as a church, God. We, we declare today, God, that we are Christ-centered. We declare today that we are gospel-centered. And Father, we know that there is a world that opposes that message. We know that there is a world who would mock our Christianity. There is a world who would look at us in our face and and know who we declare to be and would just use the foulest of language we have ever heard. We know that there's a world filled with people who don't live like we live. Father, I pray that we would have the strength and the fortitude and the power of a Holy Spirit to help us to stand firmly planted in that which you have called us to be and to do. Lord, we love you and we worship you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.